me tell you about Anchor by Spotify, which is the easiest way to make a podcast and the app that I use to make this podcast, Five Blue Firefighter. It's everything you need all in one place. First, Anchor has all the tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. If you host off Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and many others. Everything you need all in one place. And best of all, it's totally free. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, download Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Five Tool Firefighter Podcast. My name is Nick Higgins, firefighter and author of the Five Tool Firefighter book. Each week, we bring you an inspiring message or person to help you become the best version of yourself you could be. This journey is for the long haul, not the short. Now let's start our journey to becoming the best version of ourselves we could be. All right. Welcome to episode five tool firefighter podcast. On today's episode, I have a guest who is not a first responder, but is in fact the person who works in areas of healing and helping people. He's a physical therapist, author of the book, The Happiness Perspective, Ferris Vakori. So Ferris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm excited to uh, be here and chat with you a little bit. Um, thanks for having me on. Backstory behind all this is me, uh, me and Ferris, we actually went to high school together, perspective learning to re- reframe our physical trauma into hope, happiness, and connection. I read the book, I read it twice. I read it the first time, like a day and a half, and then went back and reread areas that I felt really hit the fire service. Hit first response, and then reached out and asked me if I wanted to come on the podcast and talk more about the book, talk more about the ins and outs of why he wrote this book, because I felt it's very relatable to the fire service, the firefighters, EMTs, Police, whoever else, because it has to do with trauma, something that firefighters do encounter on a daily basis. So, Ferris, before we start, let me talk a little about who you are, a brief intro on your and we'll go from there. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm excited that you reached out, and I know we chatted a little bit before we got started. Just uh, it's always nice to hear from someone, um, especially a long time ago. We haven't talked in a while, so it's it's nice to be here. So. Like you said, Nick, um, we went to high school together. After high school, I uh, went to um, college. Wasn't really too sure what I wanted to do with my life. About sophomore year of college, I played soccer in college. So it was about sophomore year, I finally figured out that uh, I got hurt. I finally figured out that I um, wanted to pursue a career in physical therapy. And that's exactly what I did once I wrapped up college. I went to physical therapy school. I graduated in 2012 and um, I've been working in a rehab hospital for the past 10 years, the same rehab hospital. And I treat individuals, you know, it's funny, I got into physical therapy, being an athlete, playing sports my whole life. Um, I got into physical therapy thinking I was gonna work with athletes. That was like my dream job. And then throughout my three years of physical therapy school, you do different rotations in different settings. And I ended up doing a rotation in in neuro rehab setting and I just fell in love with it. And once I graduated from PT school, that's sort of where I landed in terms of my my job and my career. And I treat individuals who have had pretty life-changing injuries. They've had brain injuries, strokes, spinal cord injuries, amputations. So 
when most people think of physical therapy, I feel like the first thing they think of usually is, you know, sports related injuries, but I'm on the rehab side of things. And um, I do a little bit of teaching as well in a physical therapy program at Rutgers. Um, I do some research as well. So that's sort of who I am and sort of my career path up to this point. Awesome. That's a, that's a hell of a background. More than a, you put in a book. That's a lot of stuff, man. You're definitely well around. Definitely got to have a, an act for the thing. Um, a lot of times physical therapy is the areas you spoke about. Um, I know for a fact, me being a physical therapist for all the injuries I went through, I, I never thought you'd go in there for something like that. Maybe for occupational, I always heard, but um, to hear about it more, and speak to someone who does it, you know, it really sheds light on the amount of different things that um, people go through on a daily basis. Over the pandemic, during the whole lockdown, why did you write the book? What made you want to write this book? It's funny. I, I never, like, you know, looking back in high school when we were there or even college, like, I never thought I wanted to write a book. It was something that just sort of happened organically. Um, early on in my career, I journaled a lot because what I was seeing was really affecting me in a lot of different ways. Just, try, just trying to deal with all the, you know, the traumas I was seeing, people going through life-changing injuries, trying to navigate, you know, situations that they, you know, were out of their control. And just dealing with these individuals and treating them on a daily basis really got to me emotionally. So I journaled, I wrote things down just to sort of clear my head of what I was seeing at work. And then fast forward about eight years into my career, a young girl had a stroke. She um, had just graduated from Georgetown University. And one of the things I love most about my job is being able to cultivate relationships and uh, develop really strong bonds with my patients. So she was telling me how she wrote a book through a very formal program with one of her professors from Georgetown. And I told her, you know, I really enjoyed writing and just getting things out of my head. It was very helpful for me to deal with things. And I told her I journaled over the years and she was really the catalyst for me wanting to take my journey and writing my book. She's like, you should definitely write one. I told her I cannot write a book. There's no way I can do this. And she was really the genesis for me starting the journey of writing my book. And I, um, published, like you said, almost two years. Um, December will be two years, so about a year and a half now. And that was really how I got into writing the book. You find it therapeutic, huh? To really get some of that stuff off your chest, keeping it in. I hear a lot. I mean, that, that's Absolutely. that's one thing I hear a lot is people will journal and write just because they need therapy to um, to get their emotions out and their thoughts and feelings that they can't really get out any other way. I know that's one way people help. You know, so I was reading a book and one of your chapters, Mind Over Medicine, that really caught my eye, especially when you talk about your parents in, in the car accident. And what really hit me with that was something that you hear about in the first responder world, stress from something else kind of plays into a new, an incident that happens down the road. And with your mom, and I, I, I don't want to give too much away in the book, but I want to talk more about that because I, I see that a lot of people, myself, uh, it happened to me, it, it happens to everybody. And what it, what's that like? How common is something in in, in your world 
being a physical therapist, hearing about people who have had an injury and then start seeing this area where they're having stressors from something a long time ago prolong their rehabilitation. Is that something that's common? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, that chapter is really all about, you know, early on in my career, I, I really thought, you know, the way I treated my patients was very linear in that I just thought if I was able to treat what their physical impairments were and how they presented to me, I would be able to heal them. And as I learned and grew into my career and, you know, had um, experience under my belt a little bit more, I started to notice that my patients who were healing the most, um, who were able to sort of turn the corner with their rehab, um, I noticed big changes in their mental state as well. And I feel like when we have underlying stressors in our life, and they could be as simple as the day-to-day stressors or like major traumas that we all sort of are trying to navigate and go through. Um, One of the things I noticed with my patients are those who really had a hard time of dealing with the the stressors of what they were going through really impacted their physical recovery. So you brought up my mom and the accident they had. Um, Thank God they're okay now, but my mom, has a lot of underlying stress in her life. And um, I had her see a special therapist to try to deal with some of the stressors that she was going through in her life and some of the physical manifestations that were presenting like panic attacks over the course of her life. And more recently with a lot of the stressors she was having, those physical, those uh, stressors and the emotional traumas that she went through can really manifest themselves physically. And that's something I've noticed in my patients. So when I talk about physical therapy and physical healing, it's so much more than just the physical stuff. And something I've leaned into a lot the past couple of years with my patients is trying to build more strong relationships with them and connect with them because um, I've just found that it makes such a big difference in their ability to, I feel like I'm there to help them release not only the physical traumas that they have, but then just talking to me allows them to clear some of the emotional trauma that they're going through. And I've noticed big changes with my patients. Yeah, I, um, a while back, I think I was probably just finishing college or out of college at this time. And I, my wife now, now wife, but then girlfriend, she was um, having a similar issue. Uh, things that were not directly happening to her, but happening to somebody else in her family, um, going through very stressful situations. All of a sudden, she started becoming really prone to panic attacks and anxiety. And it wasn't something that was directly directly hit her, but it was because it was another relative. It, it affected her physically, emotionally. And you don't really understand something when someone talks to you about that, that. You don't understand it until you're actually living that situation. And when I read that book, when I read that chapter, I was like, man, there's so many things that happened in my life directly, indirectly, that have attributed to longer healing times, recovery times, um, or something that happened in the past that just affected something that happened today. So, you know, in the first responder world, it happens a lot. And like you said, I think it's, in the beginning, you thought it was about healing the physical nature, when it really was, there's an underlying reason they're not recovering. And it could be something as simple as they're getting to what's in their brain and what's really, really harming them. And as I read it, I started thinking, all right, so you start talking about traumatic brain injuries, talking about TBI. And I know there's different things you wrote in the book on it, but I kind of want you to talk more about um, 
traumatic brain injuries and how how does it relate to what we just talked we just spoke about yeah i think there's a lot of different layers to the way i wrote the book and one of the chapters i i just because it's a patient population i treat for traumatic brain injury there's so many different levels of it there's it's not i feel like that's a big misconception that people have like if you have a brain injury there's only one type there's so many different types of brain injuries um so in terms of like the, what I've seen, it's a lot of gray area. There's not, it's not very black and white. And one of the things that, you know, I wish that my patients knew or family members knew as I was treating them is to understand that they most of the time are falling within that gray area um, of, you know, uncertainty between their recovery process, what that's going to look like and what the possible outcomes are. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned from my patients is really trying to enjoy or focus on the process of what we're going through in our lives, whether you have a brain injury or in your world, Nick, like first responders, um, whether it's a fire that they're attending to or um, a police officer who's taking a call and they um, are trying to cope and deal with all the stressors that come with the job. I think what's important to understand and try to focus on is the process of what they're trying to overcome or, ne or negotiate or deal with. Um, oftentimes we fast forward or try to look too far ahead into the future and we really worry about the final product versus trying to slow down, control what's in our hands at the moment and focus on the process of what we're trying to overcome to try to set us up for, for success. Because the biggest mistake I noticed with my patients specifically is that they're constantly comparing themselves to the way they were before. And that's so easy to do versus trying to focus on where they're at right now and the steps that they can take to sort of get to where they want to get eventually. I really like how you put that analogy together because that is so common. People don't focus on right now. Mm -hmm. It's worrying about what's going to happen 10 steps ahead, 10 steps behind, not focusing on what's happening now. And that dictates a lot, recovery, the outcome, and that moves into the question I have. It's really probably the, I guess the, the meat of this book is the happiness muscle. Mm. And I just really, for those who don't know, what is it? <laughs> well, to me, Someone said to you, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> So, and I, I argue that, you know, in physical therapy school, we learn about all the different muscles, um, the nerves, all the different parts of the body and sort of how they work together. And I argue that I failed to learn about arguably one of the most important muscles, if not the most important muscle, which is our happiness muscle. And I sort of equate it to how normal muscles work. Our muscles require a lot of different, um, you know, things to go right for them to grow and be, um, you know, maximize their function essentially. So I compare our happiness as a muscle and in order for us to be able to flex our happiness muscle with a lot of confidence, I think it's important to address it and feed it in a lot of different avenues as if we're, you know, working on trying to build muscle in our bodies. You can't just do one exercise for the rest of your life at the same reps over and over again and expect change to happen over time. You might get a little bit of change, but I think over time you really have to, there's a lot of different layers to happiness, of course. And I I'd sort of unpack that a little bit more in the book, but 
I think you have to attack your happiness in a lot of different ways. And I think it's important to understand that happiness is definitely a journey. It's not a final destination. And sort of what I said before is it's a process. And I think the more we're able to feed our happiness muscle, the more we can flex our happiness muscle with a little bit more confidence on a day-to-day basis. And I think consistency is the most important thing. Um, being able to flex our happiness muscle, we can do it when we go on vacation or when maybe we get a promotion, but I think it's more important to learn and understand and cultivate habits to be able to flex our happiness muscle more consistently so that over time we can sort of flex and grow and develop our happiness muscle um, closer to where we want it to be. You had some really good interviews in this book. There was some in here that I have one open right now because this was the one that when I read about the happiness muscle and I started going through the book to prepare for today, the one I, I started talking about, the first one I, I got back into was Sean O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Talking about happiness and talking about you know what he went through in his in talking about his interview with his injury. And you, you quote it in the book from Sean, my proudest personal achievement is enabling other people with disabilities to achieve their dreams. When you met with when you met with Sean O'Donnell and, and he said those things to you, someone who has a spinal cord injury, and he started saying his proudest achievement was out of everything that happened was helping other people. Did that start the journey of, yeah, what I'm saying is what I want to say is in fact true. Yeah, I was floored when I heard that. And that was such a common thread with all my interviews. Um, And something as I reflected more and more as I was writing this book, I noticed more and more with my patients who were the happiest. They, it, it took varying degrees of time for each patient, but the more they were able to step out of their comfort zone and understand that they were not alone and help other people, it's, it's almost sounds counterintuitive. Like someone is going through a major trauma, something is going on in their lives so drastic. And there's something I heard recently that really struck me. I forget who said, I think it was Steve Harvey, like on social media or something, um, or maybe Dr. Phil, I don't, I don't remember, but it sort of ties into this beautifully. And he said something to the effect of give of that what you need the most. So if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling down, reach out to somebody, turn it and try to help other people. And that's what I've noticed the most with my patients who are the happiest. They sort of turns their mind, they turn their, their mindset away from them and sort of it allows them to see what other people are going through, A, but also it allows them to sort of have some sense of gratitude when they see, A, they're not alone. And no matter how catastrophic an injury I see, there's always someone worse than them. And it doesn't mean, I don't mean to say that to undermine what they're going through, but one of the main things I've noticed is that my patients who help other people, their sense of gratitude grows tremendously. And that sort of helps them shift their perspective in their recovery, not only physically, but emotionally and sort of tap into that happiness muscle we just talked a little bit about. So it really is a matter of mind over medicine. In a sense, when you think about it, it's really a matter of mind over medicine because the, the other interview that 
I'm sure a lot of people listening know who this person is. And I'm going to bring it up. He just opened up a coffee shop the other day in Woodbridge, New Jersey, Eric LeGrand. You know, he's a Rutgers football player, got injured on the field, spinal injury. His interview, too. You know, you talk about it in moments of weakness versus mindset of weakness. And this is something that's prevalent in the world of first responders because they go through trauma and some can go down dark places. And they don't understand, like you were saying, there's there's outlets other than pills and alcohol, whatever else, even prescription stuff. There are ways to help the stress and help whatever they're going through, and they're not alone. Granted, none of these people had this injury stuff. They had true injuries. But you talk about Eric, Eric LeGrand, and you see that what he went through as a young person and his, pretty much his life was put on hold for something that was a freak accident. And you see what he's accomplished and you see the things that he's done. It, it really is it truly an inspiration and the meaning of great, you know, and if you were to talk to a first responder community about that interview with Eric, what are some things you would tell people in the first responder realm where we see trauma and we get beat up left and right? What would you say to them saying, you know, I, I met Eric LeGrand. This is what I learned. Yeah, I think, so Eric, I mean, he, like you said, he's a tremendous inspiration. And one of the things I love most about him, so he had a spinal cord injury. Every spinal cord injury is different depending on the level of the spinal cord that was affected. So his was pretty high up on his neck and he's pretty much paralyzed from his shoulders down. And over the course, I treated him a bunch. Um, over the course of my interactions with him, I was not his primary therapist, but just seeing him every time he rolled into the gym in his wheelchair, biggest smile on his face, happiest kid I've ever seen. And he's really going through a lot of, you know, um, talking about traumas, like his life got, like you said, and it got turned upside down. And one of the biggest things that I sort of mentioned before was, I feel like we oftentimes when we're going through traumas or we're going through any sort of stressors in our life, we think we're alone and we have to figure it out by ourselves. So any first responders who are sort of listening to this, um, I just feel like one of the things that I struggled with too is, and it's something that I'm still working on is reaching out for, uh, to other people for help. You don't have to figure it out yourself. Start with what you have in the moment. And even if it's a simple phone call, text, um, you're not alone. There's people out there who are willing to help. Asking for help is the hardest thing. And it's something that I truly, truly struggle with because I just feel like we're taught that if we ask for help or we reach out to somebody because we're not feeling well, or we're not having a good day, like that's a sign of weakness. It is not. It's a, it's a sign of strength. Being vulnerable is when you grow the most. And no matter what you're going through, if you had a bad day at work, if you are experiencing, you know, um, losing a fellow police officer or firefighter or any sort of trauma at all, it's okay to ask for help. That would be my biggest sounds so simple. And so I just feel like we oftentimes try to make it bigger than it is. But the number one thing to understand is that you're not alone, whether it's physical trauma or something you're dealing with at work. Um, even the simple day-to-day -day stuff, like just feeling anxious in a day because you're not sure, you know, um, or even you don't, you might not even know why you feel anxious in a day. It's okay to reach out to somebody to say, you know, I'm not really feeling great right now i'm feeling anxious i don't know what's going on and even just getting it out of your head 
allows you to clear your mind a little bit and I think start the healing process. So that would be the biggest piece of advice I would give someone. There's a lot of stuff you said in there that is that resonates I mean, in firehouses alone. Um, I'm an advocate for an Exophilic Firefighter Foundation in New Jersey. Uh, I just handle Jersey, but there's guys that go out across the country and deal with this type of stuff mm-hmm. uh, that deal with uh, departments that lost someone in the line of duty. And the one thing we always say is they they take it on themselves that it was their fault, you know, all these different theories they have. And, you know, the one thing is they always say that um, if you say something, it's a sign of weakness. And, you know, you know, it's the one thing you said to fight. It's not. Being vulnerable is, it is getting stronger. And you learn more from that. And it, it's still a stigma. I mean, I still feel there is a huge stigma with that in society, and especially in the fire service. Much as we're trying to pull it out with different organizations and foundations helping firefighters cope with all types of trauma, there's still that stigma that people don't want to help. They don't want to get help. And there's guys out there day in and day out trying to advocate for it. Um, Dr. David Griffin. Carolina, he's a in Charleston South in June of 2008, and he's out now sharing that sharing that message, sharing how he overcame trauma. PTSD has to what he calls per, uh, post-traumatic growth and what he's doing. And as I'm reading the book, I'm, I'm remembering things that people have said to me over the years and stuff. I've like read in articles and webinars and seminars and everything else. And the last thing that really kind of it kind of tied into was the human connection. Mm. was how important that is because we're so tied up behind a phone or a computer for the majority of these that you forget how powerful things are when you're in that face-to-face human connection reaching out to someone, make a phone And I want to talk a little on that, like how you came out with understanding and seeing that whole piece. That seems like it ties almost everything together was the human connection piece in your book. So that's really what I want to get into is a little more on, on that part. Yeah, I think just to backtrack a little bit, Nick, um, I was listening to a podcast recently and one of the things that uh, there was a quote that the, the guest said on the podcast that really resonated with me. I think ties what we talked a little bit about. Like, I feel like sometimes we don't know what to say and we don't know how to articulate our emotions and our feelings. Um, and Brene Brown does a really good job of talking about this topic. And there was a quote that she, I think it was her that said it or someone that she was interviewing. Um, the quote read, and I don't want to butcher it actually. So let me just pull it up real quick. It said, um, the limits of my language means the limits of my world. And I think a big part of our, our troubles as a society about our stress and you know tr- asking for help is we don't know what to say. We don't know how to articulate what we're feeling. And I think when we don't know how to do that, that limits our world tremendously. So that's something that we all have to do a better job of. And I think that's such an important piece of asking for help is trying to find ways to articulate what you're feeling. So that's number one. And then just going into, I think that ties nicely into like human connection too. Like early on in my career, I think I mentioned this earlier, I was so caught up on just the physical therapy stuff. Like my first visit with every single patient I see is a one hour initial evaluation. 
And early on in my career, I was so caught up on like getting all the information, doing all the testing that I needed to do that sometimes I wouldn't even listen to my patient's response to the question I just asked because I was so worried about, you know, the next thing I need to accomplish or do. Now, the past, you know, four or five years, I really lean into being very present with my patients, listening to them. I might not get into any testing with them their first visit. I just found that, you know, building that strong relationship with them and connecting with them early on in the rehab process builds trust with them. They, they are more prone to stick to, you know, the exercises that I'm giving them. They look forward to coming to therapy. So I always try to find ways to connect with them. And, you know, I love traveling. So like if I've been somewhere where one of my patients are from, I'll just bring that up in conversation just to have that common bond with them. Because again, the, I'm addressing the physical stuff. Yes. But I feel like I do as physical therapists and anybody can do this, honestly, just being present with someone, listening to them, I feel like is so therapeutic and healing on so many different levels. So I think that the human connection piece is honestly paramount and the number one thing that can help anybody going through any trauma, uh, whether it's physical or you know the day-to-day struggles that we're all dealing with. Well, a few years ago, I took a, I sat through a seminar with Summit Health and they had a, a neurologist talking about different things about the brain. And I, I really love listening to all that kind of stuff. I don't remember a lot of what he said um, in so long, but the one thing that resonated with me, I actually wrote it down in my phone and kept it was when you feel stress, when you feel like you need some type of connection, anxiety, you need, you need to connect with somebody, go to someone that means something in your life. Mm-hmm. Maybe you haven't, re- you haven't talked to in a couple of years, a couple of months and send them a quick email or something, a text message, you just say hello and thank you. And he's noticed by doing that with his patients, it's actually helped help them, in a sense, find the root cause of what's going on. And at the time I was sitting through it and I was a little going through a little anxiety and stuff. And every now and then I get a little anxiety. Um, and I refuse anything except just stuff like this, talking, getting out in nature, just doing human stuff. Yep. And so I tried it. I, I just emailed somebody that um, really had an impact in my life. And when I sent that email, I was nervous. But once I sent it and I got that reply back, I think that every, all the weight of everything, and it wasn't even in the email, there was nothing about what was going on. It was just, how are you doing? Hope everything's well. Hope you're the family. And when you got the reply back, it's great talking to you. It just was like, wow, what was I stressing about? What was really bothering me? And everything else that was falling apart that I was trying to fix all started coming together. Mm. And it really is a matter of mind over medicine. And your brain definitely does has, has so much control over a lot of your body that you don't even realize what's really happening. You think you have a physical injury, and sometimes you don't. You have something else going on. And that's how I kind of saw part of this book was a lot of the patients had, they had other, something else, maybe a stress in their life, but then they also took these stressors or these traumas and turned it into a positive, which a lot of people don't do. But these interviews and these people that you've interviewed and your parents, even, even the one about your dad working at the, at the store in Jersey city on Thanksgiving, 
you know, he could have been, that could have been a, a really, like, man, this is a terrible Thanksgiving. But he turned into something that is shaping, actually molded you into what, it basically molded you into this book, into what you're doing today. And it really shows what the power of gratitude, happiness do to people. And, the, and, and that's the one thing that and I, I tell you, it's, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the expert. If you just listen to someone talk for five minutes and just be there for them, that's, that's better than anything else than, than you teaching them how to stretch a hose line into a building and put a fire out because they know you're going to have their back. It's more of an emotional connection. That's one thing I asked uh, a fire captain. What's one of the strengths of an engine company? And he said, it's the human connection of each other. It's the bond you have that builds a team and builds you. It, I mean, if I had to recommend, I would recommend this book to anybody because it just has so many things in there. I mean, yes, there's stuff in there about physical therapy. There's medical stuff. And I love that stuff. So for me, I'm reading it. And I, I'm, I'm taking notes and I'm highlighting. I love it. It's definitely good for EMS. People doing the EMS running, it's good for them to understand this stuff because when we train on that, be present with the patient. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the next step. Worry about what's going on right now with them. Listen to what they're saying to you. And it took a little time when, when you see a lot of younger EMTs come in, they're just like, oh, we got to get you on the boot. Get them going backward, get them into the end. But no, no, we got to talk to them, get to their level, you know, because you don't know what's going on, you know. And we see them at first. But each level to them is at their worst at the stage in their stage in their the recovery. So you see them at a different worst than we would see them, but it's still at the worst time of their life at that moment. And get present. This was good. This was a really good. I I, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, the last thing I want to say is, do you have anything you want to leave people with about? your book about anything um i just want to say thank you first of all for having me on and reaching out to me um you talk about human connection and you know this is this is the best part of sort of me taking this journey is getting people to reach out to me and connecting with them and that's one of the things i love about my job so i just wanted to thank you acknowledge you for doing this stuff because um, with your podcast and you writing your book, um, I think we get caught up in trying to do things for the wrong reasons. And you just taking this journey and doing the podcast and writing your book for something that you're deeply passionate about speaks to volumes to who you are as a person, Nick. And, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I think the biggest thing for me would be to leave people with like, going back to what you sort of just were talking about, like you never know where someone is at. You never know. You could be the last face that they, the simple hello, the simple smile to them can make all the difference in the world. You never know where the people we interact with on a day to day are at in their lives. So just try to be kinder to not only each other, but to yourself as well in the process. And I think, that's one of the keys to happiness as a whole, not only individually, but as a society. So um, yeah, I just want to thank all the first responders too for everything they do. I know that's a big audience that is going to be listening to, to this. So 
just thank you for, you know, all the work that you guys do as well. And, and that's pretty much it. Thanks for having me on, Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming in and doing this. And I took a long shot thinking, you know, not a first responder, but I want to have got people on that make an impact, not just in the first responder world, but can impact their life and for, for the positive. And that's what the, the book, The Five Tool Firefighter is about. There's only one chapter really in firefighting, an entire book. Yeah. One chapter. The rest is on how to just well-round optimize your life. And the happiness perspective is, is an area. I talk about fitness. I talk about fitness, mental fitness, physical fitness. And this is the fitness for your, for your mindset to get your mind right. And if anybody gets this, any first responder gets this book, it really is something that can change how you interact with everybody, not just the patients you come across or the, or the victims or the, the homeowners. It, it could be anybody you come across, your own self. I, it's a, I highly recommend this book, and you can get on Amazon. Yep. Get the book on Amazon and check it out. It's a great book. It's a very – it's not a long book. It's about 200 pages. It's not a long book yeah, at not, all. I don't think it, yeah, not even – yeah, it's not a long book. It's a very easy book to read. Don't think because it's very easy. Very easy book to read and it has a lot of information and a lot of impactful stories, science behind it all. Amazon, The Happiness Perspective. Check it out. It's by Ferris Recori. So Ferris, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this and shedding more light on the book, on the happiness muscle, um, changing life. So with that, as we say here at the Five Fuel Firefighter and at the firehousetribune.com, until next time, work hard, stay safe. today's episode of the five tool firefighter podcast if you like what you heard and you want to hear more please subscribe to our podcast on apple spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts also please leave us a rating and don't forget to pick up the book the five tool firefighter available on amazon at the firehousetribune.com until next time work hard stay safe and live inspired